Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll see it up there, verse 17. says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we've been talking for several weeks about this topic and about this idea that if anybody finds themselves in Christ, if anybody, you know, surrenders their life to Jesus, if anybody makes Jesus the Lord and the Savior of their life, that they are now what the Bible calls in Christ. They're in the family of God. I like to say it this way, Christ, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. It's a beautiful union. It's a connection that I have, a personal and intimate connection with the God of the universe. So many, so many different religious systems exist in the world today, and none of them are insincere. None of them are insincere. But only one of them promises intimacy with the God who made heaven and earth. Can you say amen? Only one of them. If you're in Christ... The whole kingdom of God has taken residence in your heart. Isn't that awesome? What a a life to live. So we've been talking about what it means to be in Christ. We've talked about the fact that to be in Christ means that we have a new identity in him, that I'm no longer who I used to be. Can you say amen? Aren't you glad that you're no longer who you used to be? How many of you, you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you were a scoundrel before you got saved, huh? Come on. Amen. Not not everybody has a really squeaky clean past. Yeah? But how many of you know when Jesus came to live on the inside of you, when the Spirit of God came and took over the inside of your heart and he began to do a work in you, he created something brand new and your identity changed. You're not the man or the woman that you used to be. Amen? So you have a new identity. You're not a dirty old sinner anymore. You're a saint. You're a son of the king. Amen? You're a daughter of the most high God. We are perpetually new. Something I didn't talk about a couple weeks ago, but I want to mention it real quickly here. When the scripture says here in verse 17 that you're a new creation, the word in the Greek Two things to understand about it. The word new in the Greek is present active in its tense, which means that it's perpetual. And the word creation in the Greek is the word which means original. So when Paul is writing these words, he's very specific and he says, you are a new original in Christ. And the word new is present active, which means it's perpetual. So you don't get saved. Hear me, hear me now. You don't get saved, and then you start to walk with God, and the newness of life wears off. It's perpetually new. Some of us think, you know, we walked with God, and I got a little, you know, what's that song? Got a couple dents in my fender, got a couple rips in my jeans. You know what I'm talking about? Some of us think that that's the way our spiritual existence becomes. The longer we walk with the Lord, you know, I used to be on fire for God, but I'm a little rusty now. 
No, you're still just as new the, the now as you were the day you got saved. You could have got saved 35 years ago. You are as new and as perfect and as clean on the inside as you were the second you gave your life to Christ. You're perpetually new. So we've talked about these things and talked about our identity in Christ. And the next part of the conversation about us being made new takes us into this reality that we're going to talk about today. That there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The title of the message today, and it's actually a two-part message. This is kind of complicated because we got a series title called Made New. And then I got, a, I got a sermon title, and the sermon is actually two parts. So, I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. Right? <laughs> the title of the sermon today is From Condemnation to Covenant. From Condemnation to Covenant. We're going to talk about the first half of that this morning. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Many of you will know this scripture. It's probably familiar to you. I know for a fact that this is Andrew Hensley's favorite chapter in the Bible because we talk about it every week at Small Group. <laughs> Romans 8, man, it just doesn't get any better than Romans 8. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1, and then I'm going to actually read it to you in a few different translations. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You screwed up yesterday? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You got in an argument with your spouse on the way to church this morning? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Cheated on your taxes last year? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Am I telling you that you should run out and sin and have a great crazy time? No. But what I am saying is that when we fall short of the mark, we need to remember that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Amen. Let me read it to you in a couple different translations. This is the J.B. Phillips New Testament. I know y'all love this one. No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you, again, you don't have to raise your hands. How many of you have sinned and then you <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, how many of you have sinned and then the weight of that sin follows you around for a long time? I've met people in my life, and, and I'm sad to say this, I've met people in my life that still struggle with an experience or a sin that happened 20, 15, 30, 40, however many years ago. They still can't, they, they, and you talk to them and it's so tough, you want them to understand, hey man, Jesus has forgiven you of that, you can let it go. But sometimes we do this, we, we fall, when nobody likes to sin, nobody wants to sin. We don't wake up in the morning and go, man, you know what, today I'm going to do, I'm going to cheat on my wife today, man, it's going to be a great day. Nobody does that. But we find ourselves in, in challenging situations and, and the enemy loves to pull on and manipulate our flesh and get us over into a place of sin. And then what happens is he makes sure after he's tempted you and after he's gotten you over to the place of sin, he makes sure that you never forget it. And it takes some understanding from the word that you have to remember and remind yourself 
that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You may have mistaked, you may have sinned, you may have fallen. The Bible says a just man, even a just man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. Why? Because grace always says you deserve another chance. Amen. No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me share it with you from the Amplified Version. This is the wordy version. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. Isn't that amazing? Amen. I think we got the wrong one up there on the screen, but that's okay. There is therefore now no condemnation, let's just listen to this, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this question, what does the word condemnation mean? If we were to take the Bible definition from this verse, what, was it, what would it mean? Well, the Greek word here for condemnation, which incidentally is the word katakrimi, just in case one of y'all wants to try to use that in a sentence at lunch afterwards. <laughs> Pass the katakrimi, that was delicious. The Greek word for condemnation is katakrimi. It's a compound word of two words, which means to judge and accuse from above. So the word, the word kata, the beginning of that, means down from above. Krimini means, it's not a mushroom, it's actually a word which means to hurl an accusation. A judgment. So this idea of katakrimi means to, to pour out this judgment from above. To rain down accusation from above. And this is what the enemy tries to do to you. All day, every day, all the time. Y'all know you've experienced this before, haven't you? Well, I've got good news for you. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. When the enemy is doing something to try to remind you of your sin, to try to remind you of a, of a guilty verdict, he's doing something he's actually not allowed to do. Amen. You see, the reason I bring out that Greek word and that Greek definition is very specific. It's because if you look at the word, again, kata means from above, krimi means an accusation, it should become super obvious when we see the definition of that word to recognize that the enemy is actually incapable of doing that. Why is the devil incapable of hurling an accusation at you from above? Because he's not above. He's below. He's under my feet. Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2 tell me that I've been seated and you've been seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places far above principalities, far above powers. If there's an enemy, if there's a devil, which there is, if there's demons, which there are, and they're trying to get you to fall back into some way of thinking that says that you're not enough, that you're less than who God created you to be, that you're just a filthy, dirty old sinner, when the enemy comes to, to, to say those things to you, you just remind him he's actually out of position. You're out of position. Get back down where you live. This is your address under my feet, man. Get back down to where you're supposed to be. That's why, the, that's why Paul says that we cast down imaginations and arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Amen. 
The devil's under your feet. Just tell your neighbor that. Just say, listen, the devil's under my feet. Come on, say it with some conviction. Tell him the devil's under my feet. Amen. Here's the, here's the truth of this scripture. Are you ready for this? It's actually impossible to condemn a man, woman, or child who is in Christ. You and I are off limits to the enemy. We are off limits to the enemy. Amen. It's impossible to condemn a man or woman or child who's in Christ. Because here's what you got to realize. To condemn you or I would also be to condemn Jesus. See, that's where it kind of gets like sort of heavy, right? That's where it kind of gets intense. One of the reasons that it's impossible to condemn you is because in order to condemn you successfully, the enemy would also have to be condemning Jesus. Look at verse 31 of this passage. It's amazing. It says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for me, who can be against me? Paul's, this is a rhetorical question. Paul's not looking for an answer here. He's saying, guys, if God is for us, is there anybody that can be against me? Is there anybody that holds a candle to the weight of the authority of God's word? Look at verse 34. Who is he who can condemn? Excuse me, verse 33 is what I wanted to look at. Who, is, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Then verse 34, who is he that can condemn? In other words, if you're going to try to condemn somebody who's connected to Jesus, you're going to try to condemn Jesus too, and you can't do that. Amen. Let me read this for you in the Passion Translation. Verse 1. You all know how much I like to pick on the Passion Translation. I'll call it the Lady Translation. Because, because all the women in our church love the Passion Translation. They get together in small groups, and then, did you hear what the Passion said? Yeah, I did. Did you hear what it Yeah, oh, yeah. And then they cry, and they hug. It's wonderful. <laughs> Praise God. No, check this out. This is the Passion Translation. Nails verse 1. Check this out. It says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. There remains no accusing voice. The case is closed. Glory to God. The devil has no right to condemn you. When he tries to condemn you, he's coming against Jesus. He's not just coming against you. He's trying to come against Jesus. He's trying to usurp the victory that Jesus purchased on Calvary's cross. And guess what? He doesn't get to do that. Amen. That's why, listen, this is why you got to remember that you have authority in Christ. Amen. When the enemy comes out against you, you have the right to tell him to shut up. Amen. I mean, listen, if some, if some stray dog wandered onto your property... And somehow came in the front door and started peeing on your furniture. What would you do? You beat that thing, right? Come on, get out of my house. Honey, get the hose. You know, I mean, you, you, you'd get a broomstick. You'd push that thing out the door. You'd say, get out of here. You don't belong here. This isn't your place. 
Any time and every time the enemy comes against you or I with a voice of condemnation, you need to treat him like a stray dog peeing on your furniture. Remind him he's in the wrong place. You're out of position. You're out of place. You're trying to stand above me and hurl accusation at me, and I got news for you. You live under my feet. This ain't your living room. Get out. Amen. Glory to God. The devil has no right to condemn you. That doesn't mean that he won't try. Amen. That doesn't mean he won't try. Let me read to you from Revelation chapter 12. This is from the New Living Translation, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. This is powerful. It says, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Aren't you glad the devil was kicked out? Aren't you glad he's just defeated? Amen. What a punk. Amen. I, I, I love telling the devil what a loser he is. I really do. I love just reminding him that he's just such a punk and he's just so defeated. You ought to try it sometime. It's quite liberating. I'm serious. Y'all think I'm being silly? I love to sit in my car and be driving. The enemy comes at me with some depressing thought or comes at me with some kind of crazy thought. And I just tell him, I just say, listen, I just need to remind you that you lost. Listen, I, you know, I, I appreciate the input. I appreciate the feedback. But hold on just for a second. You're an idiot and you're a loser and you're defeated. And then I like to take it to the next step and be like, man, it really must have been terrible that day, wasn't it? <laughs> It really must have been bad when you failed the only fight you ever had to win. When Jesus whooped you on, on the cross and you thought that you won and then he went to hell for three days and then he kicked you in the teeth and took your authority and just, just absolutely mashed you, that must have been really painful, wasn't it? You know, you can talk like that to the devil. You totally can. He's a weenie. He's a loser. He's a wimp. He's a moron. I knew the word weenie would make the whole front row laugh. <laughs> He's a chump, man. Don't, listen, let me just take a look. Can I just take a little side journey here for a second? Don't, don't coddle the enemy. Don't, don't tolerate him. You know? When, 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 when the enemy comes to put something in your life that Jesus died to make you free from, don't tolerate it. It's like a four-letter word that I hate. I just wanted you to sit there uncomfortable for a second. It's a four-letter word that I hate. It's the word cope. Because Christians weren't made by God. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you would cope with sin. He died on the cross so that you would live totally, completely free from it and master over it. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you would cope with your depression. He died on the cross so that you would be totally free from it. He didn't die on the cross so that you would cope with pornography. He died on the cross so that you could be totally free from that thing. Nothing that the enemy wants to assign to your life are you designed to tolerate. So don't coddle the enemy. Kick him. Kick him out your house, man. Just like a dog peeing on your furniture that you don't know. Just get him out of the house. You don't belong here. Let's keep reading. 
Revelation, sorry, I had to go down that little rabbit trail. There was a juicy little rabbit that I had to chase down that trail. (laughs) Verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Watch this. For the accuser of our brothers and our sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they've defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. I said to you that the devil has no right to condemn you, but that doesn't mean that he won't try, right? Why? Because this verse, verse 10, calls him the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of our brothers and sisters. As the, the old King James says, the accuser of the brethren. I want you to imagine for just a second, like a courtroom. And imagine for a second that you're in this courtroom and you're on trial. God the Father is the judge. Sitting back there behind you, this big robe on and big hammer or gavel. I guess it's not a hammer. And the enemy is the, is the prosecuting attorney in this courtroom. And Jesus is the defense attorney. You know, because the Bible says that he's our advocate. If you go read in 1 John chapter 1, we don't have time to go there, but if you go read in 1 John chapter 1, you find out the Bible says there that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So you have an advocate with God. So even when you do fall into mistakes, even when you do fall into sin, even when you you give in to that temptation, you have somebody who is constantly advocating and pleading for your case. The Bible says of Jesus that he ever lives to make intercession for us. In other words, as long as he's living... He's going to be interceding for you and me. He's going to be advocating for us. So now, imagine this court court scene. God the Father's the judge. The devil himself is the prosecuting attorney, and Jesus is your defense attorney. He's your advocate. And the enemy now has pressured you with temptation, and you gave in. I told you about that time when my sister and I were down in Florida. We were, I think we were still in high school. We were living in Florida and we were invited to go to a party with some friends. And we knew that it was not the place that we were supposed to be going. We just knew bad news if we go there. So we're driving down Fruitville Road in Sarasota at about 11 o'clock at night. I'm driving in my little Honda. I look at her and like, we're not supposed to go to this party tonight. What do you think? She's like, yeah, I don't think we're supposed to go. We looked at each other like, let's go. And so we went, I remember we merged onto the highway and we went and people were doing drugs and all kinds of craziness. Thankfully, we got out before the cops showed up, so that was good. But imagine you're in this situation of pressure and temptation like we were in the car where we knew we shouldn't do it, but we did it anyway. The enemy has put pressure on you and he's caused you to cave and you fell into sin, and now you're on trial. 
Now he's going to be, the voice that was the temptation voice is now the accusing voice. Just further proof that the devil's a jerk. Right? He's going to just tempt you and tempt you and tempt you, push you and try to get you to sin. And as soon as you're done sinning, he's going to turn around and tell on you. They just sinned. Look what they just did. Look what they just did. It's like that doofus that, you know, tries to get you to cut class when you're in high school. And it, come on, man, let's cut class. Let's cut class. Let's skip school. Let's do it. And then finally he wears you down and you're like, yeah, man, let's do it. And then on your way out, you see the vice principal in the hallway and the guy's like, it was his idea. That's the enemy, man. He's going to put the pressure on you, and then once he gets you to fall into temptation, now he's going to turn around and accuse you and try to get above you and judge and throw down accusation. What a weenie. (laughs) So here he is. You're in the courtroom. The enemy's getting ready to put on his best. If you've ever seen like a movie with a southern prosecutor, you know, them big like fat Colonel Sanders-looking guy with his best Savannah accent, you know, well, your honor. What happened on Thursday the 14th was the defendant in question, and he's going to start to build a case against you. Thank you, Frankie, for laughing at me. I appreciate that. He's going to start to build an, a, 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 a def, uh, excuse me, a case against you. He's going to start to bring up evidence. Let me ask you a question before we go any farther in this illustration. Where's the courtroom? Where's the courtroom? Did you ever think about this? It's in your head. It's right in here. Now we know that heaven does have a, a place, an official place of the court in heaven, but, but for this illustration, where's this happening? It's happening between your ears. You fell, you sinned, you stumbled, you... You went backwards. You said you were never going to do it again, and you did it again. And now there's a war raging in your mind. And the devil is bringing up this very convincing, evidence-laden case. Well, Your Honor, there was blood on the scene. They failed. They, They screwed up. They did it. Look, all the evidence points to them. There's blood on the crime scene. And at this moment, you get a little bit, get a little bit down. You, you kind of have that sin hanging over your head. Anybody been there besides me? You're feeling it. Like, man, I failed. I screwed up. And it's at this moment that the enemy wants to insert the lie that you're not who God said you are. It's at this moment When you feel that you're at your weakest and you feel like I've fallen for the thousandth time, I've done the thing I promised God I was never going to do again, and now the enemy is at this moment of weakness for you, going to slide in and try to convince you that you're not who God says you are. Amen. And the judge hears all the evidence, because remember the Bible said in Revelation there that that the devil was the one who night and day accuses the brethren before God. And the judge turns, looks at you. He looks at you for a second. Then he looks at your defense attorney. He says, well, what do you make of this? And Jesus, our advocate, he doesn't even have to say nothing. 
All he does is hold up this hand, and there's a hole there. And then he holds up this hand, and there's a, another hole there. And, he, and he, he pipes up, and he says, you know what, Your Honor? That prosecuting attorney, he was right. There was blood on the scene. Mine. Mine. He says, you're absolutely right. There was blood on the scene. It was all over the place. In fact, the whole scene was doused in blood. Mine. And then you know what the father does? Then you know what the judge does? He takes that big old gavel and he smacks it down on the desk and he says, case dismissed. He says, as a matter of fact, this case was thrown out 2,000 years ago. This case was thrown out before the evidence actually was even produced. You see, Jesus died for you a long time before you ever even had a chance to sin. No wonder there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You were bought and paid for before you were born, much less before you got the chance to sin. Oh, man, the judge leans back in his chair. Case dismissed. This case was thrown out. Matter of fact, who let this prosecuting attorney in here? His papers were revoked 2,000 years ago. You were debarred a long time ago. What are you doing in my courtroom? Glory to God. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. Not only should you not feel bad, not only should you not carry the weight of condemnation, it's actually impossible to condemn you because you're in Christ. Amen? There's blood on the scene. His. Now the enemy, now, now God is going to turn and look at you and say, how do you plead? That's part of every good court TV, right? Every good court drama. How do you plead? And this is something I want to bring out. I'm getting ready to close, by the way. You always have a chance. You always have an opportunity to decide how you plead. In every situation, every time you sin, every time you fall short and you run back to God and you go, Lord, I made a mistake, but I'm not here in my own defense. Lord, I, may, I screwed up, I sinned, I fell short, but I'm not here in my own defense. I plead not guilty because of Jesus. And every time you sin and every time you fall short, you have an opportunity in that moment to decide who you agree with. Do you agree with the defense attorney or do you agree with the prosecuting attorney? Do you agree with the word which says that we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony? Or do you agree with the lie that says you're nothing but a filthy old sinner and you just did it again, you dog? Don't agree with the accuser. Don't side with the prosecution. Praise God. You lift your hands and you say, I'm free because he whom the son is set free is free indeed. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The one who is trying to condemn you doesn't have the right to do it. And the only one who actually has the right to condemn you has chosen not to. Glory to God. The devil doesn't have the right to condemn you. Only God is the one who actually has the ability to throw the book at you. And guess what? 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it is finished, he chose not to. Yeah. 
I want you to think for just a second as we close. Get a picture in your mind of Jesus hanging on the cross. This is the moment. All of heaven and earth is leaning in to see what's going to happen. And here's Jesus, our Savior. He's been beaten. He's been just absolutely marred beyond beyond recognition. They, 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 They couldn't even tell that it was him. The Bible says he was so beaten that he didn't even look like himself. He's got plucked his beard. He's bleeding from head to toe. He's been beaten to a pulp. There's organs showing and tissue and sinew all over the place. They took this crown of thorns and they pressed it into his head till it causes his hemorrhaging to happen in his skull and he's bleeding out. And then they force him to carry this cross up a hill and he's so dehydrated and he's so beaten and he's, he's just so mangled that he can't even carry this piece of wood to the top of the hill. He has to get help from a man named Simon. And now they've driven these railroad spikes through his hand and he's hanging on this cross. And there's seven different phrases that Jesus says when he's on the cross, seven different sayings. One of them, perhaps the one that means so much, means the most to me, is he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I, for just a moment, as we close, I want to reframe that statement in your mind for just a second. We've been talking today about how you're not condemned by the enemy. We've been talking today about how you're new in Christ Jesus and his blood was on the scene and you're liberated. And I want to tie that to this statement. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We know what he meant when he said, Father, forgive them, right? I mean, it's, it's an incredible thought. It's an incredible statement that literally while people are killing Jesus, he's asking God to forgive them. You and I get mad when we get cut off in Chick-fil-A parking lot, Right? We get upset when our lunch doesn't get delivered to us the right way, right? Here's Jesus actually getting killed. And in the middle of getting killed, in the middle of being the sacrifice, he cries out, Father, forgive them. If this doesn't show you the heart of God, I don't know what does. If this doesn't prove the point, that even though he could condemn you, he chose not to. You see, the enemy would love to try to condemn you, even though it's impossible for him to do it. He would love to try to convince you that you're condemned and that you're a sinner. But he's not actually able to. The one who's trying to condemn you has no right to, and the one who has a right to condemn you chose not to. When he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And then this is the part of the statement that really gets me going. Are you ready for this? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I never saw this before this week. I was driving home from work in my car. And man, the revelation of this just went off in my heart. I'd never seen it before. 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who is the they? It's the people right in front of him. The Roman soldiers that have nailed him to the cross. The, 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 uh, the, the religious leaders that have condemned him to death. The crowd that a week ago was chanting Hosanna is now chanting crucify him. All the people in his immediate vicinity, God, Jesus says to God, don't hold it against them, Father. Don't condemn them for this, Father. They don't know what they're doing. What did he mean by that when he said they don't know what they're doing? My mind goes back to the book of John. Where John sees Jesus coming in John chapter 2. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the earth. The Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the earth. That means that before the earth was created, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together and decided that Jesus was going to be the lamb who was slain. That before the world was formed, before God said, let there be light, before any trees were created, before any people were created, before any of it happened, when it was literally just God, he decided, I'm going to be the sacrifice. I'm going to be the lamb that was slain to take their sins. So now all this time later, Jesus is hanging on the cross and rather than issue vindication, rather than issue condemnation, rather than, than get angry at the people that were around him, he asks God to forgive him. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing, meaning they think they're putting me to death. But Father, you and I really know this is part of a much bigger story. This is part of a much bigger narrative that we decided before the world was created. I knew before I said, let there be light, that this moment was going to happen. So don't hold it against them. They don't know what they're doing. They think they're killing me. They think they're, they think they're squishing my life out. They think they're eliminating this teacher in Israel. They don't know what they're doing. They don't realize that, Lord, you and I made an agreement before time began that I was going to be the lamb. If that doesn't prove to you that God's not trying to condemn you, I don't know what will. The one who's trying to convince you that you're nothing more than a filthy sinner doesn't actually have the right to do that. And the only one who has the right to do it decided on the cross that he wasn't going to. Father, forgive them. They don't actually know what they're doing. They don't realize that this moment was actually decided on before history began. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. You cannot be condemned. We've moved from a place of condemnation and fear, from a place of being subject to sin. And we've now moved into a place of covenant. I told you that the title of this sermon was From Condemnation to Covenant. Next week, we're going to talk about the fact that we are in covenant with the God of the universe.
if you think today was exciting, just wait till next week. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.